0: You're listening to Football
3: Full Circle with Scott Wetzel and Ben Stevens. We are live right here on Football Full Circle. It is FFC in the middle of a week right on Sports Grid Radio. There's a ton to talk about today as we get ready for a new week in the National Football League. That starts tomorrow on a Thursday night in Western New York between the Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Your weekly update in the midweek in terms of the injury reports as people return back to practice today and Scott a further update in the Michigan sign stealing scandal plaguing the number two team in the country and the co-favorites to win a national title all of that to discuss and more Scott here on this Wednesday on football full circle
4: Yep, we got a, a new member of the AAC uh, coming in with, with the uh, cadets, uh, you know, going there, only in football, though. So, they'll be in one conference in uh, all the other sports and one in football. I don't know how that works out, but it will. Uh, actually, a halfway decent Thursday night game tomorrow, right? I mean, yeah. when you look at the slate of games for today for this week, anyway. You know, 3-3 three three Tampa Bay. They are what they are. They've lost two in a row, but at least they're 500. And Buffalo, a lot of uh, intrigue around them, uh, you know, knowing how badly they played over the last three weeks. So, that, that's actually a halfway decent Thursday night game, so it should be a lot of fun this week.
3: Yeah, absolutely so. Eight and a half point spread in favor of the Buffalo Bills. We'll see how that plays out on Thursday night. But Scott, let's start with the big news in college football that we were breaking down yesterday, the sign-stealing scandal for Michigan. How severe? What is the punishment going to be? How significant are the idea of stealing signs? That remains to be seen. But further reporting yesterday, Scott, from ESPN's Pete Thamel, Detail Connor Stallions, who was that Michigan staffer, purchasing tickets for more than thirty five games over the past two years traveling to 17 different stadiums around the country as we talked about yesterday scott it was only focused on the big 10 11 of the 13 teams outside of the wolverines an additional big 10 school said they had tracked the paper trail back to a ticket purchased by connor stallions a michigan staffer and on top of that scott not just big 10 schools anymore potential college football playoff opponents for the michigan wolverines that had emerged over the last few seasons games in Oregon games in Tennessee games that featured the Georgia Bulldogs so the extent and the expanse of this Scott is all continuing to grow as we learn how big this operation actually was
4: yeah you know and listen I live his life but the guy makes supposedly $55,000 a year Ben now uh, listen, I, I remember those days, and uh, after taxes and everything, you know, even if he's single, and I don't know, but let's just say he's single, you know, wait, what's he clearing? 30000 $35,000? Point being, you know, you can't afford to buy all these tickets and be flying all over the place on $55,000 a year. So somebody has to be supporting him, right? I mean, it just, unless Michigan Ben comes out and just says, we didn't know. That would be – I'm trying to find an excuse Michigan can come up with to kind of get themselves from really being punished. And and even though ignorance is is never an excuse, that might be the only thing. And They just say, well, we didn't know we couldn't do this. Sorry about that. We didn't realize we couldn't take photos and and use electronic equipment. My bad. We should have, but I didn't. That would be the only thing because you you can't tell me this guy's buying all these tickets, flying all over the country, going to these games, giving tickets to buddies to go to these games on a a $55,000-a-year job. It's it's just crap. 3 Correct. And Scott, that's what it gets down
3: to right now. And we'll talk about the rest of this in just a moment. But first, let's welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience on Sirius XM, Channel 159, Channel 159 on Sirius XM is the home for Sports Grid Radio. He is Scott Wetzel. I am Ben Stevens. It's a Wednesday on Football Full Circle, breaking down the biggest news in college football right now, the sign-stealing scandal for Michigan. Now, Scott, I have been engaged in some social media war of words, if you will, with some Michigan fans over the last 48 nice. hours. they are defending nice. their program and good for them. I would expect them to do so. The spin zones they are putting out there right now are quite interesting trying to find the loopholes or trying to denigrate how big of a deal this is. All of that is fair. My point overall last night Scott upon this further ESPN Pete family update is that with the purchase of more than of the purchase of tickets for more than 35 games at 17 different stadiums around the country. A guy that is making $55,000 per year as a low-level staffer of this Michigan football program is not fronting the cost so his buddies can go travel around the country and see all these college football stadiums. And of course, given how closely tied it is with Michigan future opponents, even outside the Big Ten, Scott, that scope does lead you to believe one thing. The Michigan football program was well aware of what was happening. So any claim of ignorance from Jim Harbaugh is false and untrue. As we even talked about yesterday, Scott, if you give Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt or any high major FBS power five football head coach, the benefit of the doubt, if they claim they don't know of something happening within their program, that's almost worse because they're the guy that's supposed to know every single minute of everybody's daily schedule and routine and somehow some way they just have no knowledge of this going on. Scott, to know what it is takes, to know the undertaking that it is for an operation this expansive, you need support of a football program. You need the backing of people in the know that has the knowledge of this all taking place. Or the guys going out and paying people to film opposing sidelines just to have a couple of memories on their iPhones and in the cloud. That is certainly not the case. If it is, there would not be an investigation by the NCAA right now. The Big Ten would not be in cooperation with this investigation because, Scott, then it would be nothing. But there is an investigation. And Connor Stallions, who was a Michigan employee, was suspended by the university on Friday with pay, clearly tying him to this football program. This is not some super fan that is hoping to see all the college football stadiums he can in a two-year window. This is tied to the Michigan football program regardless of what kind of blame Michigan fans want to place on their university at the moment.
4: Yeah, and you said you saw a videotape of this guy standing next to the defensive coordinator, right? Again, the Ohio State game. So, yeah. if he's a no, nobody low-level, he's just doing this on his own. What is he doing on the sidelines, standing next to the defensive coordinator? You know, listen, I'm not going to compare the two issues here, but this reeks of all the Joe Paterno stuff, right? When it was Jerry Sandusky. If you want to believe Paterno, those supporters, well, listen, you may not have known what was going on, but it's your responsibility. Same thing with Jim Boeheim up in Syracuse. with that scandal again not comparing the two but as a head coach you just can't say well I didn't know because it's your job to know these things if they're happening behind your back and he was clearly a part of the program so again maybe
3: you can place blame on others or the onus on others but he's still a working member of the Michigan football staff or at least he was again he has been suspended with pay at this moment again All of these claims, Scott, and all the semantics that Michigan football is looking for right now are fair. I'm not even sure how severe the punishment is going to be. Obviously, Scott, this is wrong. Obviously, this is outside of the bylaws. This is against those rules that would lead to a violation. What exactly is going to happen? The NCAA probably not going to wrap up its investigation for another nine to 10 months as we saw how slowly the gears of justice can grind for the whole Kansas thing that had the FBI involved in wiretaps that took over six years there is some thought the Big Ten could step in but they would need to do so with some substantive evidence at this moment we'll talk about this more on the other side of the break and again the idea of is there any effect the rest of the way on this Michigan football program will it cloud a potential third consecutive Big Ten championship season we'll break it down up next here on football full circle
0: You're listening to Football Full Circle with Scott Wetzel and Ben Stevens.
3: We are live right here on Football Full Circle. So, Scott, I think the question is, what happens next with this Michigan sign-stealing A lot of people have waved off its importance. For instance, Deion Sanders was asked about it as Colorado comes out of the bye week. He said something of the sort that somebody could send you their entire game script, their plan, and you would still have to stop it. Different than in baseball, if you know a curveball is coming, you can gear up and try to knock it over the fence. Here, somebody might tell you we're running a jet sweep. You got to still get through the blocks and you still have to make the play. It gives you an advantage but there's a lot that needs to happen to force execute on any sort of game plan other coaches though like James Franklin were a little bit more outright about the effects of you line up you call a formation you try to disguise what you do and they're playing a defense that would allow you to believe that they're out there knowing something ahead of time when you've kept all your secrets to yourself Scott there's an idea that you could wave this off because it's not all that significant that yes sign stealing gives you a 15% advantage but still it's just sign stealing however it does have to deal with the football code and the integrity of the game and the idea of the integrity of what happens in between those white lines Scott is always incredibly significant for any football program and for how things play out throughout a college football season if you do this if you undertake this wrongdoing it doesn't matter if it barely helped you win a football game you still broke the code you still violated bylaws and thus a punishment needs to be coming your way so Scott I think that's what's next here and I think that all pertains to this Michigan football team this year in the Hunt for a national championship a co-favorite right now alongside Georgia and of course the favorites to win their third consecutive Big Ten title Scott will there be anything that holds Michigan back this year for this year's team based on the sign stealing scandal continuously playing out
4: I doubt it. Well, this thing really does have a lot of dynamics, and you outlined them there pretty well, Ben. Now, let me add a couple more to that equation. But to answer your question, yeah. I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. One, we saw, like I said last week, you know, that they blast, plastered you know, Michigan State 49-0, a, a rivalry game, what? which, yeah, should have been one-sided, but rivalry games generally aren't. Uh, and they still, you know, with this scandal hanging over their head, uh, they, they still beat the snot out of a, a Michigan State team. So that that's one. Two, you know, what I want to know, Ben, is how much do teams know and then how much more did they learn because it, I, I hearken back to tony romo remember when romo came on tv first year from three years ago four years ago whatever it was and he was mm-hmm. calling out the plays. remember that i mean he would say all right you know what here comes a run to the right and here comes a sweep to the left and he was like dead on with, with not just with dallas plays you know with other teams plays so uh, you know I'm, I'm thinking if tony romo can just point out what's going to happen on this play, then I would think defensive coordinators would be able to do the same thing. So, I mean, how much more did Michigan learn by doing all this stuff? But then it goes back to what you mentioned. A rule is a rule. No, no matter how much, and I listen, I do think it helped Michigan. If you know, if your linebackers know this is a run, they can play close, closer to the line of scrimmage. If, they, if they're worrying if it's a path, they got to drop back. I, I think that's a big, big mental edge uh, for, for a defense to know. And obviously, on offense, same thing, if if you know what defense they're calling, if the secondary is going to be down way back. So I think think it did help them, but I'd like to know how much more it helped them. And then, two, you know, if it's a rule, it's a rule. Is this enough to force Harbaugh to, like, if you want it to all go away, Ben, the NCAA says, listen, guys, We'll let you finish out the year. We, we got the goods on you. You're as you're, you're good as we, – we got all the evidence in the world. But we'll sit on this for a year. Next year, hardball, you go win your national championship this year, but then you resign, and then we'll all kind of go our separate ways. Because we've seen the NCAA, you know, just really yeah. not do anything. You know, that they, they had the guys on tape, you know, telling recruits, we're going to pay you money with, with Kansas basketball and Arizona basketball. And yeah. basically nothing happened to them. So that would right. be a way for it all to go away. But is that enough? Is that really enough for the NCAA, no. Big Ten, Michigan to tell Harbaugh you got to go? I don't know. It's it's yeah. I don't know.
3: I don't know either, right? There's always been the calling for Jim Harbaugh in the National Football League. You can think of a couple of years ago before Kevin O'Connell was hired by the Vikings, that Jim Harbaugh was a finalist, had two meetings with the organization, was not offered a job, and returned back to Michigan where it was, hey, he's always been a Michigan man. Scott, I think there's the optics of this that rub people the wrong way. Michigan takes a holier-than-thou approach to the integrity they hold as a part of that athletics department and university that I think certainly angers some others, and I don't think you'd have to look very far in the Big Ten Conference to find the individuals that might be pointing out what Michigan is doing, although there's more reports that Michigan might be doing this internally. There's a member on the NCAA Infractions Committee that is a Michigan grad that might be reporting on his own because He's not a huge fan of Jim Harbaugh. Again, we'll wait till that is all substantiated before we actually run with any of that. But, Scott, I think this really comes down to two things, right? You referenced a video that was making its way around social media from the Ohio State Michigan game a year ago. And CJ Stroud looks over to the sideline, as teams often do when they are out on the field in a no huddle offense, to get some sort of signal from their offensive staff of what the actual play needs to be at the line of scrimmage. As soon as CJ Stroud looks to the sideline so too does Connor Stallions who is standing right next to defensive coordinator for the Wolverines Jesse Minter as soon as CJ Stroud gets the signal so too does Michigan sideline and they reference this is going to be a pass the result of that play though was still a gain for Ohio State the Buckeyes were still able to convert somebody did not fail or somebody failed to act on their assignment for Michigan's defense so there is the upper hand advantage of having an idea of what is coming that is pretty common sense when it comes to that idea there is also the idea of needing to stop it so that's why I think Scott a lot of people are like eh, what's the significance I'm sure everybody's trying to steal a sign Michigan Michigan just got caught in doing so well it's not just Michigan got caught we see the extent and the expanse of what they were doing to try to gain that upper hand advantage 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 in Scott in my mind We talked about this slightly yesterday. I made the point on the early line. I make it again here. You can think it's fair. You can think it's unfair. You can think it's right. You can think it's wrong. When it comes to sports played on their playing surface, the outcome of the game, that result is always going to carry more weight and significance than anything that happens outside of the playing surfaces. We see it often in the NFL. Why is Calvin Ridley suspended for a full year for betting on NFL games, but individuals who engage in grotesque uh, acts outside of the football field that have nothing to do with the actual game itself only get suspended two or three games for violations of the NFL's personal conduct policy. Because for the National Football League, protecting the integrity of the game and the fair nature of sportsmanship and gamesmanship is always going to be more significant for the league than anything that happens. A domestic assault charge, and again, I'm not I'm not I'm not allowing this to be the case I'm not saying this is fine I'm condemning it frankly but this is always going to be the case if somebody is caught speeding if somebody is involved with physical violence that is not going to garner the same sort of punishment as the integrity of the actual sport does and that's maybe where the NCAA steps in with a harsher punishment than paying recruits or having some recruiting violations or whatever it might be because this actually affects the integrity of a football game played between the white lines and the integrity is always the most significant thing for a league for a sport for a
4: conference protecting the valued game. Yeah, and if you want to compare it to the NFL, uh, Belegate, uh, Spygate number one, you know, Rams and and, uh, and Patriots in the Super Bowl cost the Patriots uh, you know, a fine, about a million dollars or so in a first-round draft choice. And then the second time, if you remember, it cost them like a third-round pick when they were typing uh, people's uh, signs. So punishment yeah. has to come.
3: And I think a punishment will when exactly the NCAA, not exactly the sharpest organization. We'll go to the NFL up next live right here on football, full circle your midweek report on FFC. Stay with us.
2: Sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24/7. As our team covers the most important topics in sports, wagering real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more want the edge. Then get on the grid sportsgrid.com.
0: You're listening to Football
3: Full Circle with Scott Wetzel and Ben Stevens. We are live right here on Football Full Circle. It is FFC, all a part of the Sports Grid Radio Network. So Scott, when we go around the National Football League again, Wednesday is always a big day. You have the midweek practice reports. You get a better sense entering a new week in the National Football League. How teams are doing around the NFL. And Scott, we have a Thursday night football game tomorrow in Buffalo. What is so interesting to me, Scott, when you look at the line, it's an eight and a half point spread in favor of the Bills as they get ready to welcome in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We thought, Scott, a bounce back opportunity would come for Buffalo last Sunday on the road in Foxborough. They had lost to Jacksonville two weeks prior. They were a 15 and a half point favorite the week before against the New York Giants. They didn't win the football game and wins are always the most important, but came no Nowhere close to covering as a 15 and a half point favorite to only go into Foxborough last week, Scott, as a touchdown favorite on the road, and give the pa- and, and the Patriots recorded their second win of the season. Here, the Buffalo Bills are again, Scott, as an eight and a half point favorite against the Buccaneers at home. This screams bounce back spot for the Bills. Do you think Buffalo enacts it?
4: I would think so, right? But I'll tell you, home teams on Thursday night have not done well. It is amazing. It's the antithesis of last week, right? Last week, we talked, Ben, about how all these games were all three points or less, basically. Not all, but you know what I mean. A majority of the games were three-point underdogs or less. I counted, is it seven or eight of at least six points or more, with this being one of them? So, you know, it's tough to to lay the big odds. Uh, You know, like I said, history says, and I'll give you the numbers here in a second, Thursday night home team do not do well against the spread they may win the game so i'm thinking tampa bay's kind of in one of those bounce back spots if you believe that they're any good right if they're not any good then they're just going to lose their their third in a row and just have uh, the season be four and 13 like people thought they would be If they are any good after two home losses they bounce back i think buffalo wins it's kind of a moment of truth game for the bills i guess i would lay the eight and a half there there are good tees though you know you six point tees put the bills in there get them now before the line jumps denying this way you're still getting yeah. less than a field goal.
3: It's a good point, right? You would take them through those two key numbers of a touchdown at seven and a field goal at three to keep it under that field goal, laying two and a half. Scott, I, I the Buffalo Bills are going to win this football game. If they don't hold okay, we're gonna have some huge questions about the Bills following Thursday night and the start to week number eight. How confident do I feel in laying eight and a half right now, currently with Buffalo? Not very confident whatsoever. Certainly not on a short week. Now it doesn't doesn't mean I have confidence in backing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs were 3-1, and Scott, on their bye week. They emerged out of it as a three-point home underdog against the Detroit Lions with an opportunity to make a statement. They faltered. They got hammered by two touchdowns at home. Last week, still at home as a three-and-a-half-point favorite in a game that really would dictate sole possession of first place in the division. They could only muster up 13 points of offense. And despite the Falcons turning it over three times, two fumbles at the goal line virtually for Atlanta, the Dirty Birds win on a walk-off field goal from Young Way Koo, 16-13. Atlanta now in sole possession of first place in the NFC South Division. So, Scott, in my mind, it's not like, oh, the Buccaneers are a pesky team. I expect to come in and compete. This is why I feel strongly the Buccaneers are going to cover 8.5. It's a very large spread for a short-week Thursday night football game. Buffalo's going to win. It's just an interesting evaluation, Scott, of where these bills are, because because as we talked about, first night of the year, a dismal effort against a Zach Wilson-led Jets team virtually after the four snaps Aaron Rodgers played and then, of course, tore his left Achilles. The Buffalo Bills squander an opportunity to start 1-0 in the AFC East. They are now 1-2, and by the way, after a victory over the Dolphins, but losses against the Jets and the Patriots. Not something you expected for this Buffalo Bills team that has won the division three consecutive years. But they responded from that open. Opening Monday Night loss. Scott, were routing their next three opponents, including the Dolphins. They beat the Raiders by 28 points. They beat the Commanders by 34. They routed the Dolphins by 28 points. An average margin or not average margin, but a margin of at least four touchdowns in all three of those wins to only now, Scott, dropped two of their last three games and the one victory they did not come anywhere close to covering as a 15 and a half point favorite. So how do you feel, Scott, about this Buffalo Bills team entering week number eight?
4: I'm worried about them, Ben. Yeah, you know, home teams. By the way, I found it. Uh, 22 and 36 against the spread Thursday. Uh, Thursday night game, so you eliminate the Thanksgiving Day games. 20 and 32, so they don't had a history of, of covering these games. If, if the Bills were as easy as okay, we're just going to concentrate this game because eh, we took Jacksonville lightly, or eh, you know we took the Giants lightly. To me, it would have happened this past week at New England, a bad Patriot team that's been playing lousy in which the Bills have a lot of recent success, really handling pretty easily. Josh Allen, at his favorite team, seven, two and one against the spread. So because it didn't happen this past Sunday against New England, I'm kind of done just saying, all right, you know what? All it takes is a a concerted effort by Buffalo, and they're going to blow everybody away. I think this team's in a lot of trouble. He can't run the ball. Josh Allen is, as we've said before, you know, he's a turnover waiting to happen. It hasn't gotten any better, leads the NFL in turnovers since he's been in the league. You know, Tampa Bay's got a pretty good defense. Uh, I I think the Buccaneers, like I said, I don't think they win either. But I'd be more surprised if Tampa Bay uh, got blown out than I would if Buffalo blew them out.
3: Yeah. I agree. It's going to be a really interesting spot for this Buffalo Bills team to try to stop a little bit of the perception on their expectation because the thing for Buffalo, Scott, is not winning 12 or 13 games in the regular season. It's not even claiming a divisional crown at this moment, and Miami is the favorite with a game advantage, and they will see the Buffalo Bills again in the Week 18 regular season finale or Week 17, one of those two dates for Buffalo. It's the idea of can they actually win a conference title can they play for a Super Bowl it's a team Scott that has expectation that for the most part has lived up to that expectation just faltering on the doorstep of a Super Bowl appearance Scott I don't know what your thoughts were on Buffalo entering the year if you thought this would be the version of the Bills to take that next step but as you look at this Buffalo team right here right
4: now do you think Buffalo can be there at the end of the road? You know, I tell you, Ben, you look at their schedule, and people always kind of fray up. I don't look at the schedule. But you, you look at the schedule. They got Cincinnati on the road. They got Philadelphia on the road. They have Kansas City on the road. They have the Dolphins on the road. They got the Chargers on the road. They have Dallas, albeit at home. I mean, they have some monster games. If, for some crazy reason, they do screw up Thursday, then they play at Cincinnati. You know, they could easily lose that. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at a 4-5 and football team. With all those other games I mentioned still on the schedule, they got a tough, tough schedule. Uh, It's hard to believe they wouldn't make the postseason. You know, they're obviously capable of winning some of those games, but... It, it does have all the year marks of, like, just a disaster year. It started in the preseason, uh, you know, with the Stefan Diggs nonsense, and it hasn't really gotten any better. You mentioned the two really good wins they do have, and, and the Dolphin win, so we'll, we'll say three of them. But, you know, with, with that schedule and the way things are going for them right now, I, it wouldn't shock me if they didn't make the playoffs. And the fact that I put a bet on them to make the playoffs last week at a halfway decent odds also, you know, put the Wetzel Black cloud in there. Yeah. So for that reason alone, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs. But that's a tough schedule. I mean, that that is a brutal schedule.
3: Yeah no doubt about it. So we'll see where Buffalo is at the end of the road. Currently from that overall outlook, the Buffalo Bills have the fourth best price now to win the AFC at plus 650. The Chiefs are the favorites plus 210. The Dolphins nearly $3 back at 5-1. to one. The Ravens at plus 600. Scott, we got an update yesterday, by the way, on Deshaun Watson if you want to call it updates by any means. He, sh- he has suffered a shoulder injury that's really more in the muscle that is making it difficult for Deshaun Sean Watson to throw. ESPN's Adam Schefter was the one behind this report and he stated in the tweet, Scott, that shared this out. If you're thinking of a Major League Baseball pitcher, if they suffered a similar injury, they would probably be on the shelf for four to six weeks. Of course, Deshaun missed the game for Cleveland prior to the bye. He then missed the opening game out of the bye week. Did play last week in Indianapolis, but only attempted five passes. One for five, five yards, and interception. Scott, Cleveland is on the road this week. And in Seattle, taking on the Seahawks. Seattle is a three-point home favorite. The over-under is 39-and-a-half. Scott, do you think Deshaun Watson, who started last week but obviously did not play in a majority of the game, it was P.J. Walker, do you think Deshaun Watson will start or play at all this week in the Pacific Northwest?
4: Well, you know, the line jumped from three to three and a half, right? I'm, I'm Fandle anyway. It's three and a half now. Uh, 39 and a half is your total. The, the line tells me he's not playing. I don't think he's going to play. There's something going on there. Um, you know, you, you, the quarterback, they can't throw the football. You just you can't keep him in the game. You just can't. And with the success P.J. Walker has actually had the last couple of weeks, you know, it's you know maybe not that big of a drop-off uh, to, to P.J. Walker. So I would be conservative with him, but I, I'm more conservative by nature. with with these injuries, especially with quarterbacks, especially with arm injuries, concussions, that sort of thing. Um, I'm going to say, no, he's not going to play. You know, they got a win last week that, you know, the NFL apparently came out, according to uh, Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, said they made a mistake, uh, you know, so they realistically probably shouldn't have won that game. So they got that win, you know, maybe one more than they shouldn't have. So they got one to play with, if you will. So I'm going to say he doesn't play.
3: Yeah, I agree. I don't think that line indicates that Deshaun Watson is going to play. And then you get into the conversation, now up to three and a half, by the way, in favor of the Seahawks. Then you get into the conversation of what does the rest of this year bring? Is it something that Deshaun Watson can just work through with the additional rest? And I think, Scott, that's why last week was a peculiar move for Cleveland, where they're like, hey man, you're good, get out there and play. And then clearly he is not the same quarterback with that right shoulder injury. Is it now shutting him down for the next two to three weeks? so that he equals the six weeks needed of rest. I'm not entirely sure, but there are so many questions for this Browns team. And despite all that, Scott, PJ Walker's put in two games and the Browns have won both games. We'll continue the conversation next on Football Full Circle
0: You're listening to
3: Football Full Circle with Scott Wetzel and Ben Stevens. We're back live right here on FFC and Scott we were just breaking down Cleveland and the quarterback situation that has been rather confusing around Deshaun Watson again a three and a half point spread for the Browns in a game they are the underdog in the Pacific Northwest on Sunday against the Seahawks that spread indicates to me at the moment that Deshaun Watson probably not going to play and I do not expect the Browns coaching staff to put him out there just to take him out like he did like they did last week in Indianapolis. Yes, he did slam his head on the turf, Scott, but he cleared concussion protocol, so that was not the reason he did not come back into the football game. Scott, it's interesting right now because P.J. Walker... Has played in both of the last two football games. He started against San Francisco, a good majority of the game, of course, this past weekend in Indianapolis. It hasn't been the prettiest. It hasn't been the most explosive. It hasn't been the most dominant, but Cleveland has won each of the two games PJ Walker has played in this year. And because of it, Scott, the Browns are four and two. How long is this sustainable? How much more does Cleveland need that if Deshaun Watson is fully back and healthy, Scott? You would believe in the Browns maybe making a run to be a playoff team.
4: Yeah, listen, I, th- I think they will. You know, you, you wonder, you know, the-, the great, great defense. And, you know, uh, it-, it was, you know, terrific the first five weeks. And then they got, you know, pounded for 35 or 38 points by a backup quarterback in the with the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, where was that defense last week? I wonder about that. But schedule, not-, not daunting. You know, Houston's on there, Jets, Bears, Arizona's on that schedule for the Cleveland Browns. So it's it's a it's a nice schedule for them to do well. You just wonder, like, when. Well, you- is it? Deshaun Watson's got three more years guaranteed, so there's, there's plenty of time, but you just wonder when is the things finally going to settle with Watson and the Browns, where it's just, it's his team, there's no injuries, there's no scandals, you know, we're, we're past the point where he got paid all this ridiculous guaranteed money because there are other contracts that are going to be even worse, you know, when is it finally going to settle in with the Cleveland Browns? Uh, it, it's too bad they don't have Nick Chubb, you know, uh, they honestly lost their two best players players for the most part, right? Chubb and Watson for a good portion of the season. And they're still four and two. So, you know, yeah. Cleveland Browns fans generally aren't optimistic about uh, my father being one of them, but it, it, listen, yeah. as bad as things have been, they're, they're still 4-2, despite it all. You know, they they found a way, and they, they beat some good teams, Cincinnati and San Francisco, that maybe you would have thought those would have been losses at the beginning of the year. They're 4-2, so they could just weather this storm a couple of more weeks, get through Seattle, you know, find a way. They got Arizona after Seattle, you know. It, go at worst right at worst one and one and then you're you're five and three and then you're you're getting set for the second half of the season yeah
3: Absolutely so, and Scott, it kind of you know it, it almost reminds us of last year, right? Where it wasn't an injury, but Deshaun Watson suspended for the first 11 games for multiple violations of the NFL's personal conduct policy. And the thought was, Cleveland around the quarterback position is so talented—a healthy Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt at that time, with whatever quarterback Jacoby Brissett—and that talented defense—if they could be five and six, six and five, seven and four by the time Deshaun Watson returned—that this Cleveland team would be in. The hunt for a playoff spot. Of course, Deshaun Watson in that small six game sample size looked nothing like the quarterback we saw in 2019 and 2020 in Houston. And so far this year, when he has played, he hasn't really looked like that either. And now, injury being the main reason he is staying off the football field. You're right, Scott. When you pay a guy a $230 million fully guaranteed contract over a five year span, he's expected to be the guy from the very jump. When is he going to be that guy? We'll see here midway through year number two now he hasn't emerged as that individual now it's injuries that are keeping him on the shelf but when exactly does that start to move forward and change for all the investment into watson for this browns organization scott we can see why other owners pushed back on the idea of fully guaranteed contracts because things like this arise and then it's just a bad bet and a bad investment
4: yeah, uh, listen, the Denver Broncos are living out with Russell Wilson, right? Same thing. that They got more years guaranteed on him because they gave, not only traded for him but gave him a contract extension, which on the surface makes sense. You want to get a commitment from the guy. But you give this guaranteed money in the NFL. You know, we, we saw the running backs complain, Jacobs and Barkley, and, and Jacobs has yet to get 100 yards, and Barkley's hurt every other game. I mean, you just – you just can't. But football's such a rough sport. And once these guys, a lot of them, once they get the money, the incentive to really do well is gone. And that's the fine line, you know, to be a professional athlete, not just football, but if you're not in it, you know, it's why baseball players, they all seemingly, last year, their contracts all have these monster years. You know why? It's because they're finally doing everything that they need to because they know they want to be in the offseason coming off a great year. And in football, you know, if, if you don't have that incentive, just that little extra incentive to hang around as a quarterback as the main guy and then study more game films and then hang around and then learn more plays or whatever it's just that that's all it takes for you to be off your game and not be a great quarterback and i we're maybe seeing that yeah. with these guys
3: yeah absolutely so Absolutely so. It's been an interesting investment and situation for both of those quarterbacks. But, Scott, I think it speaks to the AFC North, right? Because the Browns, even with P.J. Walker, have won two straight. They're 4-2. The uh, the Baltimore Ravens lead the division right now at 5-2. and two. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Scott, again, it hasn't been great this year. When they've been favored to win a football game, they lose. When they are not favored to win a football game, booked as the underdog, they went outright. The Steelers 4-2 and two, and a huge game for the Bengals this Sunday, Scott, in Santa Clara against the San Francisco 49ers. We spoke about this game yesterday. It's worth rehashing. The 49ers a 5.5-point favorite against Cincy on Sunday afternoon, the over-under 45 45.5. Scott, what do you think will be the outcome of this game? I believe, at bare minimum, it will be a game we all react to in a pretty hefty way come Monday morning.
4: Yeah, uh, I'm not jumping off the Bengals bandwagon. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm sticking with them. I think they win the game outright. I think, uh, you know, we've seen a little bit of a flaw. Uh, you know, all you have to do is just look at the Buffalo Bills, right? You think, okay, there's no way San Fran's going to lose or, or play poorly three straight games. Well, the Buffalo Bills did, right? The, the, so if the Bills can do it, so can San Fran. Um, I, I like Cincinnati. I think they go out there and I think they win the game. You know, the question, bet is I know this has happened at least once, relatively recently i forget what division it was but is it possible for all afc north four teams to make the playoffs the way the south is playing the way the west is being set up right now with the chargers you know only two and four buffalo or miami you would think you know the other one one's going to win the division and one's going to win the wild card but you know maybe not is it possible all four north teams one is the champ obviously and three is the wild card get in if not, which one's faltering?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a great question, right? I. I don't know if what we're seeing right now, Scott, from the Browns and the Steelers is sustainable. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think Pittsburgh's going to be right around 500. I think they are. And, of course, the profitability of backing the Steelers in all four of their victories this year just outright on the money line, as has been the case in now year number 17 under Mike Tomlin, that goes without saying. The Browns will need a healthy and capable Deshaun Watson to continue to contend for a playoff spot at the end of this year, not just relying on a defense that, by the way, actually wasn't all that great in Indy. The Browns just found their way to a 39-38 victory over the Colts. I don't think the way that the Steelers or the Browns are playing at the moment is sustainable at the end of the day to be a 10-win AFC playoff team. With that being said, Scott, the Bengals have the pedigree, but the Bengals don't have a lot of room for margin. So here's my question, Scott. I asked Donnie the same question on the early line earlier this morning. It's a five and a half point spread, which seems a little bit large for the expectation and the pedigree of these two teams. Of course the Bengals in the AFC Championship game each of the past two seasons a Super Bowl appearance in Super Bowl 56. The 49ers in the NFC title game three of the last four years both in the preseason expected to be there. Of course the Bengals took their lumps to start this year since he is now three and three Scott after a one and three start winning each of their past two games and hopefully getting healthier with Joe Burrow recovering from that cap injury during this bye week so a five and a half point spread seems a little bit large in favor of Sam Fran so I ask you this Scott if the Bengals cover as a five and a half point underdog but lose the game by a point two or three will you still be optimistic in Cincy or do they need to prove they can win this football game on the road against the 49ers to let you know they will be in contention at year's end uh
4: They got Buffalo next week. So even if they stub their toe, beat Buffalo at home, get back on track. You know, no, they don't have to win. I I think they will win. Um, And even if they lost by, well, let's say 14 points, you know, pick a score 27-13 and not play particularly well. I, I still... I'm still going to be on their bandwagon, and until they get to maybe five or six losses, then I'm going to be like, all right, it's just not happening this year. But I still, think, you know, it's a tough spot, right? San Fran, you know, is going to be all pumped up. This is going to be their Super Bowl after winning two, uh, losing two in a row. Bengals are coming off yeah. a bye, which helps their situation. But no, I'm not going to put the whole season on this, this one game. I'd like to see them win. I'd like to see them play well. I think they will. But even if they didn't, I still wouldn't say, okay, well, we're done with them.
3: Yeah, again, we talked about this too, Scott, because this is not rarefied air for the Bengals. Again, it's not a path yeah, to repeated yeah. success, but the Bengals did start off last year 0-2. They were 2-3 and three through their first five games as well, but after they started 2-3, and three, they won 11 of their next 12 and 8 consecutively to end out the regular season. So there was room for one loss in that final 12-game span. They should have played 13, but of course we know what happened on that Monday night week number 17 in Cincinnati with the DeMar Hamlin situation there at Paycor Stadium. All of that being said, Scott, there isn't a lot of room for margin of error for the Bengals. And they were a team that won 13 games last year. They don't necessarily have to get to 13 to be a playoff team this year. You would think 10 or 11 should do the trick. So again, there's maybe more margin of error, but not a ton down the final two months of this NFL regular season. So can one of these losses come on the road in a spot against one of the other best teams in the NFL? For sure, you would at least think so. But... Exactly if it happens, then where are Cincy's weak spots on the rest of the schedule where they can maybe afford a loss? There's not many spots for them. And, Scott, you brought up three straight losses for the 49ers. This two-game skid they're on right now is their longest in the past two NFL seasons. So that's where the idea of losing three straight for San Francisco, despite some of the struggles we have seen the last few weeks from Brock Purdy, feels a little bit far-fetched as well.
4: Yeah, you know where you you know even if the Bengals stub their toe Ben, you, you look at their schedule. And you kind you look for a spot where okay, you know they're hovering around 500 late in the year. They got at Jacksonville, which you know listen, Jags are good, but I think that's a winnable game for Cincinnati. Then they come home against Indianapolis, and then another home game against Minnesota. You know they could win three in a row, still be five and five heading into that stretch. You know lose against San Fran, lose against Buffalo, but find a way to be five and five or so, win those three, then. All of a sudden everyone's back on the Cincinnati Bengals bandwagon you know, and then finish up the year at Pittsburgh yeah. at Kansas City and then Cleveland at home so I, that, that's why I'm not going to put the whole season on them you know you don't want to lose back-to-back games though to San Fran and Buffalo three and five is really now you're really especially in that division putting yourself yeah. behind the eight ball Right, and
3: again, we're talking about a Bengals team. If we think they can get back into the postseason to contend again for an AFC championship, you would theoretically believe then, since he can win these football games if they are one of the best teams in the National Football League, despite it not being against teams like the Indianapolis Colts, no shade there, or the Denver Broncos or Arizona Cardinals, who of course the Bengals beat in their most recent game, entering the bye. We're back here on Football Full Circle for a few more moments on the other side of the break.
1: At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game, or a player that goes two for two at the foul line, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet three six five. Twenty-one plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one eight hundred Gambler. Terms and conditions apply.
3: You're listening to Football Full Circle with Scott Wetzel and Ben Stevens. We are live right here on Football Full Circle. Scott, we are under a week away from the NFL trade deadline. That is this upcoming Tuesday, a spooky deadline in the NFL. It is on Halloween, October 31st. And Scott, there is a fascinating team I think we will follow over these next few days, certainly at the conclusion of Sunday, to see what their plan might be. It's the Minnesota Vikings, who have won two straight games, three of their last four, after an, uh, a 1-0-3 oh, start Excuse me to this NFL campaign. The Vikings are a one-and-a-half point favorite, Scott, on the road Sunday in Lambeau against the Green Bay Packers. It's minus 116 on the money line for the Vikes. It's minus 102 on the other side for Green Bay. Scott, if the Vikings win that football game, improve to an even 500, 4-4, four do you think Minnesota will not trade anybody at the deadline and go fully in to make another playoff run this year?
4: Uh, they would have to, right? I mean, maybe they don't trade four, but they certainly can't trade you know, Kirk Cousins at four and four. Heck, even at three and four, if, if the trade deadline was this week, they're one game out. You know, as bad as the NFC is, they're they're one game out of the final wild card spot. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, absolutely, at four and four, they would have to be all in, um, especially knowing that Kirk Cousins may or may not walk at the end of the year as, a, as an unrestricted free agent. So, why not give it the last uh, gasp? Saquon Barkley would be the one, Ben. That, that's you know, there aren't that many trades, unfortunately, in the NFL. Maybe that's loosening up a little bit, but you know, Giants going nowhere. Barkley one-year contract, all that stuff with this past off season. Uh, the franchise tag and everything else, not having a great year. So what does that mean? Would they re-sign them next year for less money? Barkley is going to be the one. Uh, how about Saquon to the L.A. Rams? We need a running back. Oh. I think maybe they're in it.
3: Yeah, you're right. It's not generally the blockbusters that happen on the Major League Baseball trade deadline. But this one might be interesting. We'll pay attention to anything that might happen here in the next five or six days. He's Scott Wetzel. I am Ben Stevens. That does it for us today here on Football Full Circle. We'll see you tomorrow, though, starting at noon Eastern time on Sports Grid Radio.